Well, it's a privilege to be with you guys this morning. I'm excited to be here, and uh, it always, always feels a little bit like home coming back to Harmony Hill, and so I thank you for that opportunity. Um, it's great to be back in Texas. This is where Paige and I grew up. Um, our family now lives in Washington State and has been there for the last 23 years, and if you've never been to the Northwest, it's a beautiful place with great coffee and terrible Mexican food. It's, uh, it's full of people who don't understand what barbecue really means, and it's full of people that don't understand that uh, Texas is just bigger than a state. And so, uh, anyway, we, we love being back here. We love being back in this moment, partially because 23 years ago, um, Paige and I said, I do, in the old sanctuary that's now the middle school. That was a part of our story as a part of Harmony Hill. And, uh, and we, uh, we got married here. We packed up our 12-foot trailer, and we... Uh, went on our honeymoon, and then we went off to, uh, to the Northwest, and we aimed our focus on the college campus, and when we got to Portland, we knew we needed to uh, engage the college campus, and we knew we needed to start an organization on a college campus uh, to reach students. But the catch we found out is that you had to have 15 students in order to start an organization that allowed you to be on campus, and we knew zero people in the Northwest, and so... We got on campus and we decided, or we, we got there and we decided we just need to go to the college campus. So we were there in our house and after a good, what did we get ourselves into kind of cry, um, we walked to campus praying that God would lead us. And along the way we met a guy who was parking his car, he was a college student and so we started talking to him and as we talked to him, um, he asked what we were doing as we were headed to campus and we looked at each other and just said, well... We're trying to start an organization on the college campus to tell people about Jesus. He said, well, I'm a Christian, and I have some Christian friends. And we began to enter into the college campus with him, and 15 minutes later, there were enough signatures for 15 people to start this club on campus. And it was this amazing moment. And we we're like, we're 15 minutes into this journey, and we've already done it. This is so easy. <laughs> no, we were in awe. We were in awe. And here was the principle that immediately on that very first day of this journey of 23 years ago, we realized that God is already at work around us. That he is waiting for us to put our yes on the table and join him. And it could mean going across the country and it could be going across the street. But God's power to use us waits on the other side of our yes. And we're about three minutes into this, and maybe some of you have already been like, there's something that God is already saying to me about my yes on the table. But seven years later, God called us to start a church in eastern Washington at Washington State University. And again, in this moment, God calls us like he did out of Texas. He calls us to something that we didn't have any contact for, context for. He calls us to start a church on a college campus. And he calls us again to lay down everything that we understood and knew to be able to say, just continue to be faithful to me. And so in 2007, we launched a thing called Resonate Church. And immediately God began to work in a significant way. And I don't have time to tell you all the crazy stories of how God began to show up time and time again and to do some amazing things. But now, as Ross said, 16 years later, we have 16 different churches in five different states. And we've seen over 1,500 students baptized. We've seen over 20,000 students participate in discipleship groups. 
And all of this in one of the least church places in our country. Well, that's nice. And along the way, here's the thing. God kept saying, I want you to think bigger. We, God kept telling us, just take a step forward to him. And he was going to provide everything we need. But here's what I want to say to you, Harmony Hill. Whether you know it or not, you have been part of this story. Over the last 16 years, we've had about 20 churches partner with us along the way. But there's been one church that has been supporting us the entire time. And that is Harmony Hill Baptist Church. You guys have supported Resonate financially. You guys have come up and helped with events, just like was announced earlier with our conference. Some of you have supported our family through partnering with what my wife strategically does to coach and support pastors' wives. And if you want to find out how to partner with us, um, Paige is going to be out in the mall after the service. And I've heard there's some yummy treats there as well. But I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your partnership that has allowed people that you will never meet to be able to hear about the life-changing reality of the gospel and to have their eternities change forever. You're a part of this story, whether you know it or not. And so as we engage in this moment and we think about this, this whole month of being able to focus on missions, I just want us to go back to this thing that has created this story that we get to be a part of, this, this, this thing that has created the greatest movement in our history as humanity. The Great Commission, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. This statement is this, this call for us. This simple reality that gives purpose to every believer. And it's as simple as this. As you're going, make disciples. And here's where it gets really amazing. There's a promise connected to it. I am with you. There's clarity that when we choose to live on mission with Jesus, there's something that connects us to him. This is something that we say over and over to our people in the first century, as they begin to say, hey, what does it look like to live in connection with Jesus? There wasn't scripture for them to say, let's just go spend time with Jesus in the Bible. The first moment of us being able to say, how do we get connected to Jesus is to live on mission with him. To take a step in what he has done in the world to be able to extend what Jesus has done. And in this, what happens is we get to be a part of the mission of God. And we get connected to God's very heart in this. And then at the very end, it says this, I'm with you. And how long? It says this, to the very end of the age. And there's this, this cool moment that we get to see. And John gets, in the book of Revelation, a, a moment to be able to tell, help us kind of connect what that could look like. In Revelation 5, we, we see this, this reality that John paints. This, this moment is saying that, that this is this reality that, that thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands are connected to this moment at the other side, on the other side of the great commandment. And it says this in chapter 5, verse 13. It says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all them, all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne 
And to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And this is this beautiful and amazing and majestic moment that we get to see. We get to see that Jesus' words, it says, I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. And then John points, this is what the end of the age looks like. This moment where the glory of God is manifest and everyone sees it. It is this moment that it reveals to everyone what this whole story from the very beginning of time to the very end of time looks like. And if we think about this moment where it says thousands upon thousands and everyone in this white hot moment of worship, this, if we just kind of, Put ourselves into that moment. Just think about the overwhelming nature of seeing a God who is worthy of worship being paid due what he is owed, that everything would worship him. And we think about this moment from when Jesus says, Go, go and make disciples. Tell of what I've done to the very end of the age. And we see at the end of the age this beautiful moment where we are all in this place of worship. And that connection of those two moments, of what Jesus says, this is how the mission of God, the arc of the story, concludes. And so we have that moment. We have that moment in Revelation that we look forward to, that we all somewhere in our hearts long for everything to be made right. And how do we get there? What's the story from that point to that point. And in this moment, we get to see this part of what we get to see the unbroken string of believers living out God's mission in their lifetime. And the call for every believer to be a disciple maker, to be able to take the gospel, and to be able to see how that ends up in this moment that we will see in the future. And we can see that in this it is the role of each believer to be in their lifetime a conduit of the mission of God. To be able to take the mission of God. This is our responsibility to be able to say, how do we get from that moment 2,000 years ago when Jesus gives this to a couple of people, his disciples, we see this 120 people become today 2.8 billion people that are followers of Jesus across the world. And we see countless more as we go to the future. But in this, throughout much of history, God's mission has expanded from one generation to another generation. From 120 people to 2.8 billion, God has seen his mission expand from generation after generation as they take the baton and pass it to the next generation. We've seen this grow from just this little area to encompassing the globe. And that's what the last 2,000 years has looked like. And generally, in most places, the expansion of the kingdom of God. But today, in our moment in the U.S., there's a different trend that is happening. There's not the expansion of the mission of God to the next generation, but there's a significant shift away from the church. I want to just give you just a little graph of just how attendance has looked like over the last few years. If you see this from 1940... You see this consistency in our world in terms of just how, th this is not just Christian things. This is, this is uh, in, in all things that would be able to have people going to church. And we see this thing. We go back to um, these places. Even in the year 2000, there was some consistency around this. 
But then as we looked over the last 20 years, what we begin to see is a significant decline on our watch. We see a significant decline in how people are participating in this. And what we see from sociologists, this is not um, generations that have gone before us going to church less. This is actually generations that are coming behind us not finding the same kind of uh, participation in church deep within them. There is a massive exodus from the church that is happening in the next generation. This next graph tells a little bit more of the story of really how we begin to see what we call the nuns. And by nuns, I don't mean nice old ladies. I I mean people who have no religious preference, that they would say, I'm not anything. And what we begin to see is there's this progressive rise in people who are like, "This, I, I don't believe in anything. And when we think about um, mission field, and we think about the idea of what the mission field looks like, typically we think about geography. Th- typically we think about where should I go. But I want to say to you that there's a mission field that is emerging that is not a where, but it is a who. It is not a geography, but it is a generation. And over the last 30 years, what we've seen is a significant and remarkable shift that has created cultural distance from generation to generation. 80 years ago, you could have a family that gathered around a radio, and they would play the same programs on the radio, and the entire family would sit around that radio, and they would listen to that programming. 40 years ago, you could see um, things on television, and these programs were uh, watched by all the same, uh, the same family with multiple generations watching the same TV shows. But today, what we see is outside of things like sports, almost everything is specific towards a generation, specific towards a group of people. And here's this crazy truth that sociologists tell us that two individuals of the same age group in different countries have more similarities than someone who is 15 and somebody who is 75 living in the same apartment building. That there's this difference between our generations that's greater than we've ever thought before. So possibly the way that we've thought about the nations is now the way we need to think about the next generation. And I'm not saying we shouldn't go to the nations. I'm just saying we should think bigger about the scope of mission. And the rally that 96% of those who decide to follow Jesus decide to do so before the age of 30. And as we begin to think about where Christianity is advancing, it's advancing on every continent except for Europe and North America. It's happening in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our kids, in our grandkids. Just real quick, raise your hand if you have grandkids. Yeah, this is... This is this different world, isn't it? As you interact with your grandkids, it's different than how we grew up, right? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but if you've had this experience where your grandkids are telling you about an app on their phone and the entire thing makes no sense to you, right? Does that, yeah, okay, you don't have to raise your hand. I did that too. I work with college students and they're telling me about this app on their phone. And I'm like, I don't even understand what you're talking about. And I'm not that far. The world is changing quick. What we begin to see is that the world is shifting not just an increasing rate, but an exponential rate of change. And so in these moments, when I think, man, this is crazy and the world is full of chaos and there's all this stuff. And I think about uh, the frustrations I have with the next generation and they're just messed up. I realize that someone cared enough to invest in me. 
I realized that they cared enough to provide resources for me, that they cared enough to change what they wanted enough to reach me. And this isn't just something that's essential for our future, but it's connected to the very heart of God. Here's what the psalmist says in terms of reaching the next generation. It says this in Psalm 71, 18. It says, even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to those who are to come. And this is this, this thing, the psalmist declares something that I think has to raise our eyes to be able to see what is happening in urgency to the next generation. When I think about what is going on with the next generation and what it looks like for us to be a group of people who said, do not forsake me, God, until I declare the power of who you are to the next generation, the mighty acts to those who come. I think about one of my favorite things, and that's bad national park reviews. I know that that probably threw you to a loop, but have you ever heard and have you read bad national park reviews, right? We have these national parks, and there's things that people go on to review national parks as if their opinion matters, right? But let me give you a few of these things. This is Volcano National Park in Hawaii. It says this, I paid $20 to get in, didn't even get to touch lava. They're pretty frustrated. Here's one about the Grand Canyon. Whoopity do, Grand Canyon. You're a giant hole in the ground. You were caused by erosion. You don't have roller coasters or dipping dots. Sheesh, can you say overrated? So, uh, Grand Canyon. Here's one about Yellowstone. The one thing that makes this place so different from other parks is the geysers. I was extremely underwhelmed. They look so much better in the pictures. If you want a similar look, just boil a pot of water at home. Honestly, though, save yourself some money and just boil water at home. So that was one of those reviews, um, Yellowstone. Yosemite. Here's a, a, a review of Yosemite. The park shuts off some of the waterfalls after midsummer. <laughs> this is probably due to dwindling park service budgets that are spent on toilet paper. Please protest this fiscal mismanagement by staying away from, Yellow, or from Yosemite. Also, there are bears in Yosemite. They practice breaking into cars. Do you want a bear to break into your car? Stay away. Here's one from a little closer. This is a Big Bend. Uh, it says this. They didn't expect to get electricity for at least a half week. Have you ever camped with a woman for a half week where there's no available warm running water anywhere? They start to stink and complain. And to top it off, we never got to see any bears or mountain lions. Thanks a lot, Obama. I'm not sure what that last part has to do with that, but uh, <laughs> here's the Badlands. I didn't see what the big deal was. We drove a million years to see some semi-impressive rock formations, and there were rattlesnakes everywhere. Dumb. You lose cell service because you're in nowhere USA. The only bad thing about these lands is the entire experience. Waste of time. <laughs> And here's the last one from a place near us, Rainier National Park. It just simply says one phrase, I've seen bigger mountains. <laughs> I think about this. These are the most wondrous, most unique, most awe-inspiring. And you read stuff like that, and you're like, do you see what I see? Did you experience what I experience? Do, do you get this? I think you've missed the whole point. 
And while we might say, oh well, to people who miss the majesty of a national park, we cannot be ho-hum about people who've missed the majesty of what Jesus did for them on the cross to change their lives forever. The psalmist understands the urgency to consider the next generation. And here's my hope, is that we cannot live towards intentionality towards the nations and assume that those who are coming behind us know what we know. That missions is about everyone, everywhere. And there's a passion in us that I want to ignite, a passion for the next generation, even though they might be the most different generation than we have ever seen in our history. I want for us to have a sense of what is our, uh, to have grace towards them and to be able to understand what it means for them to live in the world around us. The reality is when we think about the next generation, they are stuck in a worldview where everything is fuzzy, where everyone determines their own truth And they're stuck in a world where social media gives them exposure to millions of people from whom they have to compare themselves to. And since you can't ever win, it ends up being an endless pit of feeling like you don't measure up. The next generation lives in a world where the sky is the limit on who they become. But the catch is, since there's no limits to who you can become... In terms of the person you see on social media, everyone tells you, you can do it if you can just dream big enough. But the problem is, for most of the people, it's a lie. There's way more luck involved than anyone would admit. But the pressure for you to live a life that looks amazing is hard and it's deep and heavy. It's socially harder than ever before to live in the next generation You can know more people and you can be connected to more people than ever before, but statistics tell us that this is the loneliest generation that we've ever seen. They're the most protected generation that we've ever seen, and yet this protection has not led them to be happier. It's led them to believe that everything is dangerous and so that they are the most risk-averse generation that we've ever seen. They are connected yet lonely. They have more information, yet they are the most confused. They are the most protected, yet they long for peace. They are most privileged, yet they are the most anxious that we've ever seen. Harmony Hill, this generation needs the hope of Jesus. They need people who are old and gray, praying, fasting, and weeping for their salvation. They need people who will say, we will give up what we like to ensure that we remove the barriers to them finding Jesus. This generation needs those who have gone before them to say, don't forsake me, O Lord, until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to those who are to come. This generation needs to understand that Jesus is their peace. They need to see the church as a place where they can find people who love them deeply. They need to understand Christ alone forms their identity and that their hopes are ultimately found in Jesus. And I know that that's like 20 minutes of bad news, but I want to give you what's really cool. That right now we're seeing something happen on our college campuses. We're seeing something in the next generation that is really fascinating. I believe that we're seeing the beginnings of a renewal moment in the next generation. We're beginning to see things break out in a fascinating way as we get on this other side of COVID. Here's, here's a few things we're seeing. One is we're seeing unprompted student-led prayer gatherings. 
We're seeing these students that are not, we're not saying, hey, we should pray together. They're saying we've got to pray. We've got to get together. And so across our campuses, um, we're seeing this spontaneous prayer break out. And these people that are saying, hey, we've got to get together. And we're going to meet early in the morning. And you know that Jesus is moving if a college student does something early in the morning. Amen? <laughs> there's this thing that's happening where we begin to see, man, there's a passion for God to be able to move on their campus. I mean, earlier this year, we got to see things that were happening or last year in uh, in. in uh, in Kentucky at Asbury Seminary, there's, there's something that is, that is happening. The, the second thing that we're seeing is this, that students are on campus asking someone to tell them about Jesus. Now, most of the time when we're interacting with people, we start at this relational level. We start being able to connect them and we bring them into groups. We bring them into places where they get to see Jesus on display through our community. And oftentimes that begins to bring them into a place where they want to say, hey, how does this work? Let me know more about this. And we begin to tell them about a Savior that can change their life forever. But here's what's happening that's never happened before. People are coming to, uh, to, to us and other groups on campus and just simply saying, hey, you, you look, you're a church group. Would you tell me about Jesus? The spiritual hunger of this generation is more than I've ever seen in 20 years of doing ministry on college campuses. Just to be able to say, I, I don't necessarily want the, the community. I, I don't necessarily want the events first. I just want to know, can you tell me that there's more? Can you tell me that this is not it? In the chaos of the world, can you direct me to something that is timeless? The last thing that we're seeing is that people, students who are hungry to find peace in Jesus in the face of anxiety. It's no secret that mental health in the next generation is one of the most significant factors. And as they begin to say, hey, in this world that seems like it is chaotic, in this world that seems like it's challenging to be able to navigate, where can I find peace and the apologetic is not tell me about the, uh, about the truth and about the archaeology and whether Jesus' claims is real. I just want to understand the peace of Jesus. This is what we're seeing. Transformation happen over and over with students that are finding peace and then telling their friends, this is what is happening. This is what we're seeing on our campus. If I had more time, I'd tell you about Danica. Danica is leading a Bible study where there are guys and girls from 10 different fraternities and sororities that are gathered together on one of our campus. I tell you about Jamie, who is choosing to submit his sexuality to Christ through abstinence rather than to live a life of same-sex attraction in college. I tell you about George, who met Jesus 12 months ago as a freshman, today is leading a small group of 18 college freshmen together. I tell you about Gard, who led just a few weeks ago, led a freshman to Christ and then challenged that freshman, brand new believer, to do the same thing. And that freshman led two others to faith in Christ. There's something happening. This is the good news. There's 21 million college students. And this year there were 4 million freshmen who stepped onto a college campus. And our vision is to spark a movement that leads these students not just to make decisions that change their trajectories, but to discover Jesus and to be able to see Jesus change their eternities. I'm excited to be a part of what is happening here at Harmony Hill because uh, what we've discovered is that when you put mission, the mission of God in front of God's people, it shapes everything. God shapes us not when we're safe and we're comfortable, but when we place ourselves in those moments where we need him. 
we are changed by the challenges. When we put the focus on the mission of God, it drives us to his word, it drives us to prayer, it drives us into community, and it drives us to worship. More than anything else, God shows up when a people say, God, we want you here. So I want to say, how can you be a part of movement in the next generation? Here's what we feel like if I could just paint a picture for us. It feels like there's this massive ball and we're putting our hands to this, this ball, trying to roll this thing, and it's starting to move. It's starting to gain momentum. And so I simply just want to say, will you join us in putting your hand to that in prayer and being able to say, we will, we will join with asking God to move in a significant way for this next generation. And if so, this is a few things that you can pray for. The few things that are happening in Resonate Church that you are supporting, that you are a part of, this spring, we got to send a group of people to Fort Collins, Colorado. Fort Collins, Colorado, to plant a church at Colorado State University. And as we sent this group, uh, this was by far the most outdoorsy group of people that I've ever seen in my life. Um, they love to hike and raft and do extreme backcountry skiing. And so when we announced that we were planting a church in Colorado, they were like, Church planting plus adventure, sign me up. And so uh, we, we sent out a group of people there. Our planter, Matt Williams, uh, was a student at Washington State University, and God captured his heart. And he moved to Bellingham to be a part of helping a church plant in Bellingham, Washington, which is just north of Seattle, in 2019. And when we plant a church, it's always ingrained into our DNA that they are a church planting church. That they don't just start something and stop there, but they continue that process. The hope is that every church reproduces as a display of health. And so we sent out Matt and Krista to plant that church in Fort Collins. And evidently Matt and Krista embraced the idea of reproduction because they got pregnant the first month that they got there. So uh, not our typical pathway, but we're like, okay, reproduction is reproduction. So um, they're growing their children's ministry early. So um, uh, this is a fascinating thing. So this far, we've been able to see this great response from the people there at, the, at Colorado State University. And they've already been able to see freshmen connected, and there's some things that are moving there. And so you can pray for our church in Fort Collins, Colorado. The cool thing is that we raise money to, uh, to fund these churches, and they typically cost about $75,000 for us to start a church. The North American Mission Board which is funded by the Annie Armstrong Mission, does a two-for-one match, which requires us to raise $25,000. And that $25,000 was given by a member of Harmony Hill Baptist Church. And so this is a, another moment where we get to see this amazing partnership with what is having kingdom impact from, our, from us being here and being a part of, of uh, Harmony Hill. And so uh, this is really cool. Over the next six months, we get to start uh, two more churches. One is in Chico, California. In Chico, California is Chico State University. Chico State University is, uh, is where we're aiming, and our church planter there is a guy named Carson Jagannath. Carson was raised in a Christian family, but it wasn't until he got to college that he began to discover what it means to be a disciple that makes disciples. And we're excited about this. We've been praying about the state of California hard. Um, California needs, one of the interesting things is that one in seven college students in the United States is in the state of California. 
it's the state of California in terms of what it means to be a co- on the college campus is one of the most antagonistic to the things that we do. And so we are in the state of California, moving towards the state of California, and you can pray for us there because this is a huge mission field. Not only that, as we're planting another church in Colorado in the next six months, we're going to Colorado Mesa University in Grand Junction, Colorado. We're planting a church in, uh, in this university, and it is the fastest university, uh, fastest growing university in Colorado. And to our knowledge, there's not another church in that town that is focused on this university. The team is headed out from the University of Montana. So we planted the University of Montana in 2019, and they are sending out this group of people to plant this church in the next six months. Our church planter there is a guy named Jordan Scott. We might have a picture. There's Jordan there on the right. Jordan was a collegiate uh, athlete playing basketball for the University of Idaho when he discovered Jesus. And he had a radical lifestyle change And he decided to, instead of uh, pursuing uh, the NBA, pursuing playing pro basketball, that he was going to instead raise support, join the mission of God, and come on staff with Resonate Church. So he moved to help plant the church in Missoula, Montana in 2019, and he's being sent out to plant a church next year. And we believe that this is going to be an amazing opportunity for another group of people to hear the gospel Maybe that they wouldn't have had an opportunity. And so this is what you can pray for. But I want to ask you this. If you do just a little bit more, if you would pray not only for Resonate and what we're doing to plant churches on college campus, but would you pray for a harvest in the next generation? I love this theme that we have for our missions month here, this theme of the harvest. And when I think about the harvest, I go back to Luke 10.2. And Luke 10.2 says this, The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is what we're trying to tell our people. There is harvest. That's not the issue. The issue is that the people who will bring in the harvest. And here's the ask. The ask is simply that you would join us in praying for the harvest that you would just simply join us in praying Luke 10.2. And I want to invite the band up, but as they come up, I want you to, uh, the worship team to come up, but I want you just to um, just think about this idea of praying for the harvest. I want to ask you to join us, not just in praying this once, but would you pray this every day? I want to ask you to do something bold. I want to ask you to be able to take and uh, set an alarm. If you have a phone to set your alarm, to be able to pray Luke 10.2 every day at Luke 10.02. And I think about what what would it be like if we were to say, God, even when we're old and gray, we want to reveal the power of who you are to the next generation. And we want to be able to help them to see the mighty acts. And how, how can you do that? And I think about what would it be like just to take that simple prayer and say, God, will you bring laborers into your harvest? And what if across Harmony Hill there was a group of people that you knew that at 10.02 every day 
We were praying a simple prayer. God, will you bring laborers into your harvest? And so I'm going to pray for us, but after we do that, I would just encourage you, take out your phone, set, set an alarm. And it could be that 10.02, it might be the holiest moment in the city of Lufkin in the next few years and weeks and days. I want to ask you just to consider what God might be doing to reach the next generation and how you can be a part of that. So let me pray for us. God, we ask that you would take and you would reveal to us how you are already at work. Lord, that you would bring us into a sense of urgency for the next generation. Lord, as we think about our kids and our grandkids, the people that we know and the people that we do not, Lord, we pray that you would just cause us to understand the urgency you have for them to be a part of this ongoing work towards that moment in Revelation where you are lifted high. God, allow us to be those people that continue that legacy in your holy name. Amen.